Thank you, as always, for listening to Caleb vs. Self. On this episode, I get to speak with Cam from Upstate Downers. We talk about his goal with Upstate Downers. We talk about hunting ethics and traditions, as well as a couple of great hunting stories. You can find Upstate Downers on YouTube and Instagram. If you like what he's doing over there, feel free to send him pictures of your prep, your hunt, your recipes, or anything outdoors with the story behind the image. Cam likes to promote a lot of Western New York hunting, fishing, and outdoors. So again, if you want to take part, please feel free. Send it over there, especially on Instagram. It was an awesome conversation. I'm really excited to see where Cam is able to take this whole Upstate Downers brand in the future. If you like what you hear on Caleb vs. Self and want to reach out, please feel free at CalebVsSelf at gmail.com. Whether you want to make any recommendations, you yourself might want to be on the podcast, or anything else really, again, CalebVsSelf at gmail.com. Hopefully, you enjoy the conversation. Cam, thank you so much for hopping on. I appreciate it. No problem. Uh, with me today is uh, Cam from Upstate Downers. Um, you can find him on Instagram, YouTube, but either way, Upstate Downers, at least so far that I've seen, looks to be kind of like a corrob- or just a whole coalition of really awesome hunting, fishing type content. Granted, it's not completely focused in upstate New York, but it's very similar across a whole bunch of different properties. What do you feel like so far Upstate Downers has in store for you, Cam? I feel like it's going to allow me to meet a lot of new people and experience a lot of new things that I wasn't necessarily raised around. Um, I got into hunting in my mid-20s, which I feel like is somewhat unique compared to most hunters you know, across the country. Um, and you're right, it's not I'm not trying to, you know, keep it secular to upstate New York, but it's where my ties are, it's where my roots are, it's where all my friends and family, you know, are from. So um, it was kind of a good starting point. And the whole upstate part of it was because, um, you know, I, I lived in, in Phoenix, Arizona for a little bit and everyone, I, I, it was really weird to me. I got two questions when people found out I'm from New York. It's like, oh, well, do you, you know, oh, New York City? It's like, well, no. It's like, oh, okay, well, then how much farmland do you own? And that, that just, those two questions, for whatever reason, still kind of stick with me to this day. It's like, there's there's this whole other part of New York as a state that maybe people don't appreciate or understand. So whether you call it upstate, western, whatever part of New York you want to call it, um, that's where kind of the upstate part of it comes from. And I feel like the community will be able to offer me opportunities to experience things like almost um, more quickly than maybe people who were raised around it in a unique way. Like I've quickly become, I've quickly grown to realize that I can learn something from every single person I talk to whether you're from New York or not, whether you've been hunting since you were two or not, whether you're family hunted or not, whether you own your own land or not, um, because everyone has their own kind of backstory, their own way of doing things. And um, since I wasn't raised in the outdoors, but quickly, quickly um, grew a passion for it. Sure. I was like, I'm just going to be a sponge and soak in as much as I can from everyone I can. And, you know, apply it to the opportunities I have. So whether it's, you know, walking on state land in SOTUS, whether it's some private land down near Corning, whether it's, you know, a a family's property down in Chautauqua County, like take a little bit, bits and pieces of everything I've learned from whoever I've talked to over the past, however long and apply it to hunting and see what happens. And, um, I've been pretty lucky to this point to have pretty successful seasons year after year. So, um, you know, each experience, each season, each kill really helps kind of grow that passion and, and make it run even deeper. Do you find, and and I find this with myself, we talked a little bit before the podcast. I also started in my mid twenties hunting. Do you find that people that, and again, to your point, it's extremely unique, but, but those guys and girls who get into it later in life tend to be more open and more like, let me grab all this information that I can. Let me talk to everybody that I can. Let me open those doors for myself. Whereas the traditional, you know, I grew up, it's in my family. We have our own land. 
they don't do that. It, what they do is what they do, and that's all they do. I I see a drastic difference from the people I talk to that were raised on it, raised in the outdoors or raised on their own farm. You know, I ask them a question, oh, where'd you get that deer? And it's like the answer is so much different than when I asked someone that got into it later and grinded it out, um, you know, on public land year after year. Yeah, I find myself being asked to join to go hunting with people more that weren't raised around it and don't have their own family farm in their backyard versus the ones that do. I mean, it's, it's very, it is, it's, it's kind of eye opening and there's a big difference between those two groups of hunters per se. The the other thing that I also noticed, and I'm getting more into this myself, but on upstate downers, especially the Instagram page, it's more than just the last kill. I mean, oh, yeah. you got, you go from prep to equipment to, to location, scouting, uh, morning of or evening of, then the kill, yep. then doing the work, then putting it into uh, whether it's jerky, whether it's stew, whether, I mean, you name it. I mean, you're going oh, from yeah. every single step in that process. And I feel like that's another unique thing to, to people like yourself. Most hunting shows or most hunting things that you see, all you see is the rack, yep. right? That's, that's all you see. You don't see the prep yep. and you don't nope. see what it's used for. No, nope. for you, you, how important is that? Oh, I think it's I think it's everything because nothing against any other hunter, and I I will never downplay or down talk anyone else's hunting techniques, opportunities, the way they do things. Because we as a hunting community, I feel like especially in today's day and age, get such a bad rap because we're out there killing things. You know, there's no point in us pointing the fingers at each other or you know bashing each other for the way we do things. All that being said, someone that spends, you know, the entire off season doing backpack trips in the wood just to scout, um, you know, out there breaking their back, putting in food plots or moving tree stands around that sort of stuff. I have a lot of respect for people like those compared to the huge thousand acre farms that's a bean field just for deer that have the heated box blind that they got trail cams up and oh yeah go sit here and about six o'clock this eight point's going to come from the east and that 12 point's going to come from the west like god bless you if you have that opportunity that's not what upstate new york can offer hunters if i'm being blunt and um i think because of the challenge the reward is so much sweeter and that's why I like to take people through every aspect of what it takes to kill a deer or a turkey or a bear or a goose or a duck in New York, because it's just, it, it presents its own unique challenges. Like we talked about beforehand, you know, the, the lack of the tens of thousands of acres of public land or the huge game farms, more or less, or high fence this or protected area that, I mean, there's a giant barrier to entry in New York. And so I like to take people through what it takes to, 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 to take down an animal, you know? I mean, everyone thinks it's so easy to just get out there and do it because you have a weapon. Okay. That's valid point. <laughs> you know, yeah, we, we don't have sticks and arrows and, and stones where, you know, but we do have, you know, highly technical compound bows and high powered rifles and that sort of stuff. But it's not just walking out and, and seeing one and, and shooting it. You know, it takes the off season prep. It takes the, like you said earlier, knocking on the doors, asking people, um, possibly taking no for an answer a couple times, you know, a couple times a season or for a couple years in a row. But then when you finally do break that threshold, you do get that yes, you do track, you know, or a pattern, a nice big buck on public land, or you do get that shot opportunity. That's why I like to take people through the next step of processing it myself. You know, so I try to process it as much as myself as I can. Time in life doesn't always enable me to do that, but um, that's why you know, I, when I eat a piece of jerky that I made, like it tastes so much better than buying off a Jack's Links and a, you know, a, a gas station that sort of stuff. So yeah, I, I like to try and paint a good picture of you know the true challenges that hunting in upstate New York brings and why you know, the rewards are that much sweeter. So for, for folks that might be listening that want to get a little more involved in something like that, do, do they, can they just send you pictures? Do they, do they tag you on Instagram? What's the best way to kind of throw stuff your way? Yeah. I mean, definitely send me a DM, you know, a direct message right through, uh, Instagram right now. I, 
And I, I personally don't have Facebook, but I know I need to get on Facebook and we're slowly building a YouTube channel. Um, we got some videos up there right now, but um, my brother and I probably got another 24 or so episodes of all various seasons in the hopper that we're slowly working on. So um, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I love I love when people send me pictures. You know, a few of my most recent posts aren't even necessarily from people I know or have direct contact with, but um if you know, I'd love to repost you. I'd love to hear the story. And I am, because of the barrier to entry that I mentioned, I am the last person to say, "Oh, this guy at the corner of you know 250 and and 104 in Webster, New York, you 14580." Like, you know, that's just I'm not that type of guy. So you know, sure. maybe I'll tag a county. Sometimes what I do is get a little goofy and maybe tag like a, a nearby bar or restaurant or something like that. So um, I'll, I'll block out your face if you don't want me to do that. I'll, some most people don't seem to mind because I think they're just as proud as, as proud as their you know their trophy or or their kill as anyone should be. You know anywhere, especially in New York though. So um, yeah, sending me a DM right through Instagram is probably the best way. And you know I might ask you a few questions. I might not post it right away because. This year has been a very awesome year in terms of the Instagram where like I got like posts on deck, you know, I'm not trying to inundate people and, and post too much to where maybe I hit an algorithm and get flagged or something like that. But sure. um, I got I got a few days worth of posts kind of backed up. So um, I might ask you a few questions, ask you what you're comfortable with posting and not posting and um eventually it will be up there though. And I just like hearing people's stories. I mean, everyone's got their own unique walk, walks of life, their own unique challenges they had to deal with to, to harvest the animal they did. So I do my best just to share the story. For you, again, <clears throat> not just getting the animal or putting in the work to get the animal, but also processing and consuming the animal. How much of that really feeds into your own personal, you know, hunting ethic, if you will? So that is, we could probably do a whole do do a whole podcast on that alone because I have some digestive issues with my own just health stuff, and so I think um, not eating processed meat is a a major driver in in what I do and why I like to hunt as much as I can hunt. I mean, I'll, I'll predator control and all that sort of stuff, but I'm really, I'm really interested in shooting things I can eat because I think it's a, um, and I'm not only does it taste great, but if it's healthier for you and helps the environment, I mean, I read a stat or heard a stat somewhere. I, I keep bringing it up to people and I should, I should look it up and, and double check it because I don't know the exact figures, but it was, uh, I think it was Greg Ritz of Hunt Masters made a comment about if you compared the waste that big farm, you know, commercial farming puts or, you know, pollutes the air and, or just pollution in general. And you equate to, you take how much hunters, you know, that process their own food and make their own kills and process their own meat and it that way. It's like, it's better for the environment too. And it's just, there's so many pros to the whole consuming aspect of hunting to where it's a major, major role and, and major uh driver in how much i hunt i mean as everyone would like to go out there and put their that huge buck on the wall right but trust me i am the last person to get too picky if it's coming to the end of the season and i got a tag in my pocket if it doesn't have you know if it's not like a mama with a little doe or have spots on it i will absolutely if it's a clean ethical safe shot legal shot season within season i got the tag etc i'm absolutely taking that shot because i want the meat in the freezer that reminds me a lot of of uh, Jim Posewitz. I don't know if you're familiar with him. I'm not. He wrote a book. I should send it to you. Uh, I actually have it right here. Nice. Um, Beyond Fair Chase. Okay. The Ethic and Tradition of Hunting. And he sure. kind of breaks down almost like a mini Bible of <laughs> being an ethical hunter, right? How important it is to be physically fit. Uh, yeah. How important it is to build those relationships, not just with other hunters, but property owners, yep. what to do and how to behave on public lands and private lands. It's really like a mini Bible for that. And I I feel like it's right up your alley. And it, it talks a lot about the things that kind of you hold really near and dear to the whole prospect of what you're doing um, in that. Do you ever get that inevitable question from somebody, right? 
why? Why would you kill such an animal? Why would you? Yeah. And for you, right? Because oh, yeah. I know representing the group that you represent, right? Because you are, yep. in fact, by by engaging and posting and, and building this community. Yep. How do you engage in that conversation? And what advice would you give maybe a new hunter in how to handle a conversation like that? It's such, that is such a good question. And I don't have a great answer. It's such, I, I get it most from my family members because I, like we said earlier, I was not raised in it. So when I'm sitting there talking about how much respect I have for a turkey or, you know, how I think it's so cool that deer can live when it's zero degrees outside in upstate New York in blizzards and stuff. And it's like, well, how can you have this much respect for an animal and kill it? And I just, I don't have a good answer for it. It's either, it's either something you get or it's something you don't. It's there's, it's, it really is kind of a fine line. It's rare to find someone that's like pro hunting and doesn't hunt. And, um, it's a conversation that comes up from time to time. And the people that ask it that bluntly, I feel like they're, they don't think about it to the extent they should. And I, I actually use turkey hunting as a perfect example because when I first got into hunting, obviously, I, I don't know, obviously, but my opinion is everyone's probably main focus when they get into hunting is deer hunting. And I went turkey hunting for the first five years, you know, just because it was more time in the woods and it's half deer scouting and it's not zero degrees, you know, it's May in New York. So it's, it could be up. I mean, last two Mays ago, I hunted in 99 degrees and I hunted in 31 degrees in the same 30 days. So, you know, it was just, it was more time in the woods and I'm thinking, oh yeah, I don't really care if I get one or not. And everyone talks about how dumb turkeys are and how easy it is to kill. And then like year four, I haven't had a remote chance at killing a turkey. Not even like, I barely heard them. I'm like, okay, well, if they're that dumb and it's that easy, how have I not pulled this off yet? And it just kind of gave me a whole new found respect for mother nature and each animal in and of itself. So, um, those people that say, well, you know, well, if you love animals so much, why do you kill them? It's like, you know what, if you think it's that easy, cause th- that's, I guess that's my opinion is if someone's going to ask you it that way, they think it's easy. And my mm-hmm. response is go do it, go do it. Like, go do it. Like we talked about earlier, barrier to entry, go, go find land, you know, go find land where there's actually an animal. And then, okay, they're there. Like, is your scent under control? Did you do your scouting? Can you even turkey call? Do you have your tags? Do you have the right choke and the right gun with the right ammunition? And is your shot placement good? Is is the direction you're shooting and even safe? You know, how far are you from the nearest house? What other hunters are in the air? Can you see your shot and beyond? You know, so, so much goes into it that it really, and it consumes my life in a way to where I, I've, I, I, I put it simply. And if someone wants to engage me in this conversation, it's rare they want to engage me to this depth. I say hunting is so much more about living than it is about dying or killing. Um, that's why I'm okay with having a respect for an animal and still harvesting it because I know I'm going to eat it. I know my wife's going to eat it. I know my family's going to enjoy it. And yeah, if it happens to be a cool one that I could hang on the wall, even better but you know what they all taste the same so i mean it's a very loaded question when someone asked it and i honestly i haven't been asked it by too many people outside of my community obviously because mm-hmm. my community are all pro hunting but when i do get it so far it's been from my family members and i say you know what you just come with me one day you know come, come out and with me and you know what? if you don't want me to pull the trigger I can't say I wouldn't pull the trigger, but I would, I would, I I would say, as long as you're okay with me killing something, come with me and and see, see the challenges, see why it's not just walking out your backyard and shooting something. So, um, I truly believe that people either get it or they don't. And if you're at all, at all remotely semi interested in it, or at least open to the idea of accepting it, go try it. Cause I promise you, you will fall in love with it within five minutes like I did. I, that's, I really like that. The, the, and I'm going to paraphrase here cause I mm-hmm. don't remember exactly what you said, but, but I know I got a little word more about life than it is about death. Yeah. That was extremely poignant. I, I normally come from the conservation point of view. Yep. I mean, let's start with the very basic economics of how often or how, how scared people are to drive down the road and get hit by a deer, right? Yeah. Like there's lots of deer. We have Tons. to manage them, right? Yes. That's just a necessity. And that's just yep. deer. Yep. Why not do it in such a way where my dollars for that license goes into 
biologists and scientists and, and wildlife management people to continue to care for the ecosystem Absolutely. that we have thriving. I mean, it's a, Absolutely. It's a self-sufficient cycle. It know? is. If you don't it want is. to participate, by all means, you don't have to. Yeah. But I do believe it's it's very important for people who, who are willing to participate to participate. Yep. yep. I, I I tell my mom is probably the biggest anti hunter I know. And and when <laughs> she figure. when she says, Oh, you know, poor deer, blah blah blah, I go, That's fine, Mom, go hit one with your car then. You know, if that's <laughs> if you know, if that's if you're that, that bothered by it, then you know what? One one I take off during season that's a mature animal that's killed ethically go hit one with your car in a way hopefully it dies because you know what's probably going to happen it's probably not going to die right away if it is it's a brutal gruesome death and what's more likely to happen it gets injured it can't walk around efficiently it's going to get malnourished it's going to starve to death or it's going to get some flesh wound and it's going to get some sick disease and slowly to die that way i mean you tell me what's more ethical or it's going to get a coyote. It will get a hold of it because it's injured. And yep. uh, I don't know if people know this necessarily, but animals don't kill animals. They just eat them. Right. If they happen to die, they die. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's far more gruesome than an arrow, uh, yep. a well-placed arrow or a well-placed bullet or a well-placed shell. Yep, um, I agree. But neither here nor there. I'll, I'll keep going on. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for you, do you have any outside of, of your hunting or, or outdoor circle do okay. you have any influences for you, people you look up to or people you admire that directly either participated or influenced hunting or, or conservation in, in any sort of way? Um, that's, God, it sounds so cliche, but like, I mean, Steve Rinella was a big proponent of me being interested in everything that has to do with the outdoors, you know, not just hunting and killing and trophy hunting. I mean, I got a couple of his cookbooks and um, just his whole approach of providing, I, I guess, really kind of made me encompass hunting or adopt hunting as like more of a lifestyle than just a hobby or something to do or a, a, a time passer. Um, so it's kind of this big, um, this big gap I would say of people that I look up to because it's either people like, you know, way outside my circle that are like really publicly known and respected, or it's like with right within right. my immediate group, you know, um, I always respected the people that, you know, conservationists in general that just cared about the outdoors because I've, I've always been that way. And like I mentioned earlier too, my mom, like she always was like, Oh, you used to like, you know, have like your backyard magazine come to the house and blah, blah, blah. And it was all about conservation. And it's like, this still is very much conservation. We just decide to reap a little bit of the benefits of helping conserve things. And it is, mm -hmm. it is population management and that sort of stuff. So no, I guess I, I don't have any really influences other than people really, really close to me or like sure. really, really far away and removed from me. I think for me, Stephen, really now, and to your point, right, that's a cliche one to go to, but I know I watched, um, what was his first television show? The wild within. Yep. I don't know if you've seen that. I've seen a couple episodes. There's one where he's in, I believe he's in Hawaii and they're okay. boar hunting. Oh. And he's running off with some dogs because one guy's taking care of this boar and he's got to mm -hmm. run up over a waterfall. These oh, dogs have this pig trapped, but this pig's about to kill the dogs, right? Oh, I mean, these pigs yeah. are, oh, they're, they're brutal, right? They're predators. <laughs> Absolutely. They're, they're boars. They're not yeah. just like, no, they're not, pig. yeah, they're boars. Perfect. Yeah. Yep. They are boars. But he goes up there and he's got, he has to make a decision. Do I, how do I save these dogs? Yeah. Because this boar is about to kill him. So he yeah. gets up there with a buck knife and, and literally stabs it yeah. right in the heart. Right. Yep. Yep. Seeing that and watching the, the emotion and the struggle of how to deal with the situation. Cause it's not just that, like he, he comes from a very ethical perspective as well. And then of, of course, course with a show later on with meat eater, which to me, your content has the fingerprints of meat oh, cool. eater because it goes from right the oh yeah prep all the way to how to consume it yep whereas i feel like growing up whenever i saw the stereotypical whitetail show it's 23 yep. minutes exactly some guy whispering in the woods yep shooting a deer 
finding it, taking the final picture, and that's all you ever see. Exactly. It's it, nothing against the Drury's, but it's Drury Outdoors. They got their farms <laughs> in whatever state they want. Yep. They're like, well, we're going to pass in this 180-inch deer because we've got a 200-inch deer that's coming in about 45 minutes. And sure enough, right on cue, it walks out. You know, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that's easy. I, you know, obviously, it took a lot of work to get there. But what drew me to Steve Ranella is he doesn't get everything every episode. I mean, it's truly what what 99% of hunters go through hunt after hunt after hunt, you know, it's not, it's not a heated box blind over bean field. That's, you know, in a high fenced in area, it's the complete opposite of that. And, um, that's kind of, I think why maybe he resonated with me the most is because even though he, you know, oftentimes focuses on public land and upstate New York doesn't necessarily have a lot of that. It's still also a giant barrier to entry sound like a broken record but you know it's it's hard to gain access to some of these places and you might gain access with no experience or background or scouting capabilities but what are you gonna do not go (laughs) you know you you can't come from the couch so you might as well get your butt out there and and give it a try and learn it and then if you do nurture that relationship with the landowner maybe they will let you come back later this year and then maybe you move up on the list for next season and you drop off a bottle of whiskey or something say hey thanks for your access last season i appreciate do you mind if i keep your number in my phone type of thing and um it it's i I think steve does a great job still does a great job of kind of encompassing everything that has to do with it and and not just not just getting something and grinding it up and making you know breakfast sausage out of it you know Mm -hmm. i mean you can make all sorts of high-end cuisine i mean not sometime last year i saw like i think pitchford wegmans had venison for sale and it was like $80 $80 a pound or something really? like absolutely ridiculous. I, I could probably dig through my phone, but one of my buddies snapped me a picture. He's like, I don't even know this was legal in New York. I'm like, I don't think it's legal in New York. So <laughs> I don't know how they pulled that off, but um, it, maybe it was farm race. Either way, it was some stupid price. It's like, yeah, a DMP is like what? 15 bucks. <laughs> like you can just go put 40, 50, 60 pounds of that in your freezer on your own. And then, yeah, you can have your burgers, but you can also do, you know, cereal. I mean, just I, I eating it is such a huge portion of it. And that was what drew me to Steve Rinella and really had me hooked on Meat Eater was it's in the title. It's Meat Eater. You know, it's like it's about providing for your family food and the camaraderie of it all and instilling, I don't know, instilling like, um, you know, certain morals and generations after you type of thing to where it's not just, it's not just loading a gun and walking out into the woods. What's the, uh, if you don't mind me asking without being too graphic, I don't know who That's will fine. end up listening to this, That's fine. but what have you done to, to for you that's a little more experimental than the breakfast sausage like what's the most outside you've gotten with some of the way that you've maybe prepared some of some of the stuff you've you've gotten so the last the last year i got last year and so far both dough this year i've been experimenting with the heart it's like dude it's a great piece of meat for this I, last weekend i just did it for the first time i love it <laughs> it is so good and it makes me it sounds so gruesome but it makes me want to eat other things like i know and that's and it's it's dude it's getting lost in our generation like i'm one of the only people of my generation and my friend group that i know that eat it the only guys and i even most of the older generation guys like oh you're taking that i'm like you're not taking yours like give me give me it then you know yeah no problem and um that that's the most experimental I've gotten. And I actually got a book. It's behind me now. My grandma got it for me before she passed. It's called Buck Buck Moose. Okay. It's all about eating hooved animals. And um dude, there's tripe recipes in there to talk about how you use to some some of the stomach fat. There's uh deer tongue recipes. Um I know a guy that loves the liver. He's like, I don't know how you, you eat the heart, but you're not taking the liver, dude. You're missing out. It's like, man, that's 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 just they call it the wobbly bits in the book. Like I, okay. If there's this whole, if I can get an extra 10, 15, 20 pound bag out of, out of, you know, my gut pile, then I guess I'll try everything twice. <laughs> you know, that's funny too, because my father-in-law, we, we, you know, we've gotten a dough. I, this season I've been out there helping him 
He's a little more lucky in skill. Oh, you know what? I shouldn't say lucky. He's way more skilled than I am. Let's just okay. You know, yep. It is yep. what it is. He's been doing it for 20, 25 years. So mm-hmm. you're going to pick up quite a bit when you do it for that long. Oh, anyway, yeah. you know, I'll go out there. I'll drive out there and help him retrieve and track and do whatever. So we're getting this deer. Um, and I'm like, hey, th- th- just throw the heart back in there. He goes, you want to you do the heart? We'll do the liver, too. And I'm like, one thing at a time. Let, let, me, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. let me try this. Let me see how it goes. Yep. Um. And I actually was following the uh, the meat eater on on uh, YouTube, how to butcher mm-hmm. it, and mm-hmm. boy, it's that's a different, that's a whole different animal. Just to, oh yeah, no pun intended, but yep. to to get into there and see the the tendons and and not for nothing, like you really look at how a heart works. You're like, oh, science class wasn't lying, biology no. wasn't lying. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's that. You know, I'm I'm sure I learned about that part in one of my <laughs> school grades. You know, and it's it is weird, and it's um, it's humbling in a way, because when I've started to eat it and like actually shirt to the gut pile to grab it, it's like, oh, I have one of those. I have lungs. I have that. I have that. And you really are, it really humbles you. I mean, you, you realize you just took a life, you know, and not to get too graphic, hopefully some people with strong stomachs are listening to this, but like a lot of the times it's still warm, you know, and it's like, man, this thing was beating like not that long ago. And, um, it just makes you appreciate, mother nature if you believe in god it makes you a pre the animal itself i mean it just makes you appreciate the small grain of sand that you are in this thing we call the world and the universe and um if you don't if you don't agree with that i mean not everyone agrees with that but it it, it i don't know how to say it it um it really it's really it's just humbling it's really humbling yeah. and that's why i said earlier it's it's so much more about life that it is about death and um yeah it's so that that's the most uh experimental i guess you can say i've gotten so far but i mean i'm definitely making sure i'm taking cleaner cuts when i'm gutting a deer now and i'm uh, paying mm-hmm. more attention to what i'm doing and i'm looking at things and it's funny you mentioned the liver because i cooked some heart for my dad's buddy not that long ago and I was, I thought I was going to stump him. I'm like, well, I'm not telling you what this is. We're just going to cook it up and you're going to tell him. And he's like, well, that's heart. I'm like it was still on the, the sandwich bag. I'm like, wow, good for you, man. He's like, you didn't take the liver. I'm like, no, maybe the next one I'll take the liver. And then I was gutting this dough last time. And I'm like, I'm looking at the liver. I'm like, I don't know if I can do that yet. <laughs> like it's just, it is a wobbly bit, man. It is a wobbly it, it is. bit. So I, I will, I think I'll do it eventually, but me too. Um, I want to get a little more practice with. Yep hearts that i'm familiar with yeah you know yeah. Um, i thought good and hard about taking the tongue out of the last dough i really did because okay. i've heard i know people eat cow tongue you know yeah. so um if you're gonna kill something if you're gonna take an animal the the least the, it's the least you could do out of respect for that animal if i'm gonna sit here and preach how much more it is about living than dying the, the most, you know, the most I could do out of respect for that animal is consume as much of it as possible. Yeah, I mean, extremely well said. I'll leave Thank that you. there. Sure. Um, <laughs> as far as species, right? Do you have okay. a favorite? Is there is there one that you oh, like man. doing more than another? And if so, is there a particular reason? So, I think for the consumption aspect of it, deer will always be at the top of the list. Um, cause you obviously get the most out of it. Um, they look the coolest on your wall, <laughs> that sort of stuff. Yep, yep. I've, I've turkeys. No, I don't have a favorite. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, I, I, uh, I got heavy in a Turkey after I got my first Jake. And then a few weeks later I got like a eight and a half inch. No, it was like a nine inch beard, like inch and a quarter spurs. I got that Turkey all by myself couldn't i'm still learning how to mouth call and everyone well if you can't mouth call you're not going to kill a turkey i'm like you know what challenge accepted <laughs> so so for that reason i've got i've gone a huge passion for turkey but this most recent season i've gotten into waterfowl and um what i like why, why waterfowl and maybe it's like i feel like whatever i pick up most recently is my new favorite sure, <laughs> so <sure. laughs> so um i think why i'm all about waterfowl right now is because if you get itchy trigger finger when you're deer hunting or turkey hunting tough cookies like oh yeah you you there's nothing you can do about it your your water yep if you're waterfowl yeah if you're waterfowl hunting and you're like getting itchy trigger finger you look at your buddy like those geese are pretty far yep those ducks are moving pretty fast yep 
F it. Pa 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 pa. You just you just let the gun go. You can get that little that little fix. So, um, I, I I don't know if it's because it's newest, but I think like I said, deer will always be at the top of the list because you yield the most meat for many many years. I mean, I could probably eat three deer a year on my own. I mean, I, if I could get to a point where all I ate was wild game and that's kind of like maybe a long-term life goal and I'm not happening every year. And it's not to say like, I won't go out to Wendy's or something like sure. that, but yeah. if it could be my main nutrition source, then I think I will feel better about like just how my body functions. Um, so I think that's why deer will kind of always be at the top of the list. But in terms of like what I enjoy hunting the most, I mean, duck and wa- duck and goose or waterfowl in general is quickly, quickly becoming a lot of fun. It's uh, I got a kayak this year for it. You can go with buddies. You're kind of shooting the shit next to each other. You don't got to be all stealthy. You don't got to worry about scent. Um, it's just the camaraderie part of it's great. And not to mention it's a daily limit, not a season limit. So, you know, if you got a good spot, you can go knock down a whole bunch and get a whole bunch of meat mm-hmm. um, or I guess, you know, poultry, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I've, uh, I've, I've hunted everything. I've never like specifically gone for bear, which will probably be my next endeavor. Um, but I also don't, and I guess well, only a couple of years ago now, they legalized, you can use, I think, eight ounces of liquid bait to bait bear in New York, which was is the first time you've been able to bait bear in New York, as far as I'm aware, or at least since I started hunting. So um, I don't necessarily want to ruin a deer spot because, like I've said earlier, I don't have a, you know, there's not tons of lands or whatever, or tons of area or, or you know, big lands to, to hunt to where all of my deer stands over here, but my bear stands over there. So um, that'll be my next endeavor. But no, I think deer will always be at the top of the list, but waterfowl is quickly, quickly coming in second. I'm being briefly interrupted. <laughs> no problem. No problem. Um, Take your time, man. Keeping going on, on that specific vein. For me, okay. one of the most unique experiences I've had so far is to actually hear a gobbler up close. And oh, people, yeah. I feel like, I've only gotten a chance to go turkey hunting once. And I was fortunate enough oh, to, man. to, we gotta do to it then. see the gobble, see him walk by. Yep, He was like 80 yards away, and I was like, maybe it's close enough. Yeah, Obviously, let's do it. No, no way. But, <laughs> yeah. but the, at morning light and hearing that thunderous gobble, oh, man. that little-ass turkey is how loud? Oh, yeah. It scares the shit out of you. And to yep. me, it, it conjures the imagination of all the things that I've seen and experienced while sitting in a yep. tree stand or in the wood line. Like, have you ever ha- – I know you have, but for people listening, hearing a buck snort at you and stomp – and wheeze you're just like they make noises like that are you kidding yep you have no idea yep i'm with you that first turkey hunting you're up at like four o'clock in the morning you're already a mile deep in the woods it's still pitch black then you hear like the like you're like oh my god there's one out here (laughs) and like my first thought is always like it sounds so far away and i initially think there are so many animals between me and that turkey right now and it goes back to that grain of sand feeling. It's like, oh my God, I am, I am just part of this ecosystem right now. You know, like thank God we don't have mountain lions or grizzly bear, or I'd be really scared shitless. But um, it's like, oh man, there's so many more animals between me and that turkey. And then if your setup's right and you can call, or you're just lucky, you know, it only gets louder. And like the first time you hear it, it hears, it sounds so loud and then it just gets louder. And you can eventually, you feel like you literally feel that that Turkey is gobbling with every ounce of energy it has in its whole body. And you're like, it's just such a, there's nothing that compares to a Turkey gobble. I'm with you, dude. I'm with you. It's remarkable, and the, and the only thing I feel like that's going to usurp that is one day when I get a chance to hear a bull elk bugle for real right in my mouth in yep. the woods. I feel yep. like that's the only thing that's going to top that. Hopefully, one day I can make that happen. But it'll happen one day. I'm with you. That's that's <laughs> that's the. You know, I'm with you. I think that's the only thing that's ever going to top it. And I think it's so cool about turkey is like you can call them in. Like you can get good enough, you could practice, you can get a diaphragm call and box call and slate call where you can actually communicate with it and bring the turkey in. And um, I mean, it's such a skill set that is unlike any other thing you hunt besides maybe elk. 
I'm with you. I mean, they've got competitions for yeah. elk bugling and turkey calling. I mean, yep. there's a reason. There, yep. There's a crazy craft to being able to call animals in uh, using whether it's it's diaphragms, boxes, you know, whatever it is that you use. Actually, yep. one of the questions that actually came up at the office today mm-hmm. that I was asked to ask you about, one okay. of them was for turkey. Yep. Um, are you using, uh, I know you said recently, uh, earlier, I should say that you're working on using the diaphragm mm-hmm. for the other ones. Have you been using like a box, um, call or what do you, what have you been trying to do slate? Maybe, I don't know. Yeah. So box call is probably the main one I use. You mm-hmm. got a big, you got a big range of calls you can make with it in terms of, you know, clucks, purrs, and all that sort of stuff, if you're good at it. And then you also have a range of volume, so you can use it as like a locator. So if you don't know a turkey's in the area, you can just rip one out at the top of the mountain and hope some sort of, you know, you get some sort of response. And then you could, you know, ease up on it to try and call it in or as you work towards it, locate it more. So that's pretty crucial. Slate call is nice. I would prefer to use a diaphragm over a slate call if I can. Um, slate's more consistent, so if you can't diaphragm call and you're learning to, like you can usually push a bird out of the area by not properly diaphragm calling. So slate's nice because you can kind of get all set up against your tree and all you're doing is moving your wrist or fingers along the slate call. You set the slate right on the ground and then just use your striker to make make the noise you need to make. Um, but that's why diaphragm call, I feel like, and I now I see why people say it's the most important. You're quote unquote, not going to kill a turkey if you don't know how to use a diaphragm call because you don't need to move. You know, you got your mouth covered up or whatever. And um, you can, you can, you know, use that diaphragm call to, to actually get them to come right in. But um, up until this year, so this is year six of turkey hunting, I had no idea how to diaphragm call. I am far from perfect using a diaphragm call. I went out with a couple, I went out with a couple people who were like, yeah, Cam, just, just go ahead and stop diaphragm calling. Right. It's like, Thanks, brah. <laughs> no problem. I'll just shoot. I'll just sit back and shoot. <laughs> Still working on it. Yeah. Yep. But that's, that's part of it too. And that's, you know, part of upstate downers is you don't just turkey hunt the month of May. You know, I mean, I got my diaphragm calls in a CD. Yes, a CD in my truck right now, (laughs) right now with turkey calls. And so, you know, in the next few months here, I'm going to start popping that bad boy back in and putting my diaphragm calls in my mouth as I'm driving around. Because, you know, the last thing you want to do is try and figure it out when you hear that gobble, when you know there's a turkey in the area, when you roosted one the night before, that sort of stuff. So let's talk about the video that is on YouTube. Okay. <laughs> 20 yards away from you, a black bear snuck up on you two. You and your brother, correct? If I'm yep. not mistaken. It was um, my brother's first time out hunting ever. Anything ever. <laughs> I don't think he even had his license. Uh, I don't know if he had his license. He was just filming me. I mean, I don't, he didn't right. have a gu- he didn't have a gun. Right, so right, we, were, right. we were completely illegal. He maybe had his license, but he wasn't the shooter. He was just filming me. And the video, dude, I know it sounds like every other hunting video or any other fishing story, but like the video doesn't do it justice. That bear was a lot closer than I make it look in that video, but I will never forget that because we were actually a little late. I mean, we left that morning, so I think we left the house at two o'clock to get down to outside of Corning by, you know, before sunrise. We ended up going not very far because by the time we got down there after pee breaks and coffee breaks and gas breaks or whatever, just a little later to the woods and we get set up and we're sitting there. The sun's just coming over the horizon. Uh, If you see the pictures I got, you know, on the video on YouTube, it's great. But some of the posts on Instagram, I mean, it was just like out of a calendar, dude, that that Mm -hmm. sunrise was crazy that morning. And I had the decoys in front of us. We're sitting maybe 15, 20 yards behind it in the corner of a field. We're just on a hedgerow between two fields or whatever. And I'm just kind of scanning left and right. And out of the corner of my left eye, it's probably 80 yards up to the top of this hill to my left. And so it just, it was all short grass. So um, I start to slowly turn my head to the left and I could see something moving or I see this black thing out of the corner of my eye. And I'm thinking, oh man, did I like not see a stick that's about to, because you have no depth perception as you're in the woods, you know, where it's your depth perception really messes with you. So I'm like, oh, is this like a twig that's about to poke me in the eye? I need to move my head over or break the twig or whatever. And I'm still slowly turning my head and I could see that it's something moving. And so I was already like accepting the fact 
that it's an animal. I'm like, okay, there's something moving towards us. And all I did was put my eyes on it and not even like finish turning my head all the way. And by the time, and this all happened in like two seconds, but I turn and I look at it. And before I even turn my head to, back to the right to talk to my brother, I go, man, that turkey was really big and had hair and holy shit, Spencer, it's a bear. That's exactly what I said to him. And I look back and that bear, like, I mean, we were like still just setting up. It's not like we were sitting there still for 20 minutes. So as I'm watching it come towards me, I'm like, we're still moving. That bear does not care that we're sitting here and still moving. Mm-hmm. And I'm I, like, I'm looking at it. I'm like, well, he ain't going to stop. <laughs> like he does not care what he's just curious. So I just stand up and all he did was run. You know, I stand up and I yell at him and he only runs like 40 yards halfway up the hill and looks right back at me. I'm like, well, this is crazy right now like what is going on so that's when by the grace of god there was a huge branch on the ground next to me i pick it up so i'm waving the branch and the shotgun it runs to the top of the hill and stops again that's when i drop the branch and take out my pistol just in case i mean last thing i want to do is illegally kill a bear out of season blah 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 blah. but i'm also not trying to die if a bear if a bear's not scared of us and um yeah, I mean that was absolutely insane. That just it didn't really even. I just went down to the bottom of the hill and kind of continued its trajectory on wherever the heck it was going. So I'm like, all right, so it's heading to the southeast corner of the property. We're going to go ahead and go to the southwest corner of the property. Like we are getting out of this area because there is a and that was it was wild. I said, Spence, you will never like you don't even know what you just experienced. You know, I've been <laughs> hunting for six years. So I guess that was my sixth year. Like only second bear i've ever seen in the woods ever you know and that thing just rolled up on us i don't know how big people thought it was but i mean that's probably two well over 200 pounds maybe over 250 i don't know and it just the fact that it could walk out in the middle more or less the middle of that field that quiet and get that close before i knew it was even there is like again grain of sand man like we are not top predator out here luckily black bear are the only bear in new york and they're not aggressive and they're way more scared of you than are they are it but if it was brown bear or grizzly bear like if we were not in new york could have been a very different story for sure what's the uh you got to give me the next best hunting story that you have then because i know that's got to be up there on the list it's got i mean running into a black bear like that especially with your brother when it's his first time i'm guessing is in the top three minimum Oh yeah, I would say yeah. You nailed the number on the top of the head because I'm I'm struggling between two right now. So <laughs> there's, you could save one for a different time. But do you sure, want sure. next best good or next best bad? Your call. Okay, so we'll go we'll go next best good because I want to sound like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> As people are listening to me for the first time, Fair but even enough. the good even the good's not great. It's actually not great at all. It's just it's actually worse than the bad one. But um, I went out to Kansas last year. And for a whitetail hunt, um, a bow hunt, it was semi-guided. So it was like, you know, um, not protected land. It was just, it was land that no one else could access except for the outfitter. And the outfitter obviously had trail cam and stands up, but it's not like you weren't hunting out of box blinds. It's not like the, the outfitter was sitting there right next to you and saying, okay, here's the three deer you have to choose from. There was no like, you know, minimal penalty for shooting whatever. So it was uh second week of November. I mean, it was like, I shot this buck a year and two days ago and I'm actually getting them out back tomorrow. So, um, it was our, it was a five day hunt. It's day five and a half. Yes. Yeah, day five and a half. No, four and a half. Okay. So I had, we had one more day left more or less. And the first three days of that we were hunting was about 80 degrees and 30 mile an hour winds and so for bow for bow season and the guy had a if you wound an animal that's your hunt rule so like even if a deer is at 20 yards i don't know if i'm comfortable shooting an arrow at 30 mile an hour crosswinds right you know like so it was really messing with our head and um we hunted this one piece of property for three days and didn't I, I mean we saw we saw deer so i at least got to say that but like at the end of the third day it was my buddy alec and i well we weren't buddies but we're buddies now you know we got to know each other on a 23 hour drive to kansas so um I can so imagine. We had, 
Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we're pretty close now. So um, it was almost comical only because we had to laugh or we would cry. It was like, you see anything? Yeah, I saw that little scrub six. Oh, about 4.30? Yeah, how'd you know? Because I saw him at 2.30. Then the next day, he'd ask me, you see anything? Yeah, just a little basket eight. Well, let me guess, about 4 o'clock? Yeah, how'd you know? Because I saw him at 2.30. You know, like it was it was comical. We were just exchanging the deer that we wouldn't even shoot in New York. And so the outfitter was adamant that this is a good piece of property. I call it the motherland for a reason. We're like, bro, we get it. You know, we're not Western hunters. We're, we've never hunted Kansas, but... We know how to hunt whitetail. Alec already had one from that year. You know, I had a, a decent trophy wall working. Um, we, we didn't see any does. We didn't see any poop. We didn't see any rubs. We didn't see any scrapes. Like, there's no deer here. Like, there's just no deer here. So we were actually getting a little frustrated with the guy. Like, can you put us somewhere else, please? And um, he's like, go out one more morning. And if it's not good, then pack up and come a couple towns south and we'll set you up somewhere else. So it's like, okay, whatever. So we go out next morning. Like I was hunting an edge of a property actually to where if it was on, you know, my side of the fence, I could shoot it. If it was on the other side of the fence, I couldn't. And the fence was only about 30 yards away. And a deer that I was, I mean, not even a deer I put on my wall. If I shot it in New York was walking up uh, like a bat, that basket eight. And I'm like, Oh, I'm shooting this thing. (laughs) Like, forget it. Like I'm not coming up to Kansas to get skunked. Like, are you kidding me? (laughs) So, um, the other weird thing about this guy that particular year was he was all about stats he was like, oh, our, our hunter sits for average of this time and the average shot distance is this and the average size of the deer is that and we're, we're 14 for 16 on kills with two misses and one wound. It was just like, um, so it was like all these things are going to my head. Like the guy's very weak, you know, just very, I get it. It's a business, but it was not what I was expecting it would be. Sure. So I feel bad. I feel bad because he's, I think I tagged him on Instagram, so he's going to know I'm talking about him. But either way, so we get to this new piece of property after the, you know, the, the three and a half days of not great hunting. He can't control weather. I get it. I can't blame the guy. So, um, he finally moves us to a new piece of property and he goes, I'm going to put you a deer on a deer called butterball. And I mean, there must've been a 300 pound whitetail. The thing was just like fat, just a fat buck, just a huge, not like just an absolute, like look at bodied chonker chonker. (laughs) chonker so i'm like yeah i'll go hunt butterball hell yeah you know so he puts me on this one spot drives me right up to the stand or whatever and he's like i know it's a little weird but the stand right there like he didn't have to walk me or anything he even got out of the truck i'm like okay whatever so i go sit in it and it's all kind of wet behind me so i'm thinking these deer are going to come from behind me and they don't and i um i actually am texting my boss saying I'm not going to be in the office this week. (laughs) Like we're going to try and talk the outfitter into one more full day of hunting before we drive, you know, two days back or whatever. Um, So no sooner am I texting my boss than do I see, and this deer's probably 350 yards out in the middle of an alfalfa field, but he's running slowly. And my first thought was that deer has like half the size of legs that a deer should have. Just like little nubs running underneath him because he was so fat. I'm like, oh my God, it's butterball. And Kansas and a lot of probably Westerns, they've only ever hunted Kansas in terms of like Western states. That's really even central, but it's a lot of nothing separated by creek beds that are either have a little, little creek still running through them or like they're completely dried up. So there's two giant alfalfa fields on either side of this creek bed and then one to the north of it. And I see this deer run across east to west into the creek bed that I'm in, but he's still 300 yards out and the wind's blowing it blowing up in my face so i'm like well this deer is not gonna come down this way you know because they don't they don't walk into they don't walk with the wind right and so whatever i see i see him come in i stand up you know i clip on him waiting there standing for a half an hour scan looking for any movement don't see anything sit back down finish my text on my boss no sooner do i sit back down and look back up do i see another deer which you know hindsight being what it is see another deer running west to east into the creek bed and I'm like, okay, this one's like less than hundred yards out. So stand back up, clip back on, I'm ready to go. And I'm like, well, he's still not going to come this way because deer don't, they, you know, they walk into the wind, not with the wind. Well, not this one. I see movement and I'm just watching him. He works all his way, all the way, hundred yards to about 15 yards in front of me. 
I come to full draw when he's about 30 yards away. He slowly finally starts to turn broadside because he was dead on with me the whole time. Finally, slowly starts to turn broadside. You know, I squeeze the release and I hear, and the deer jumps back to about 23 yards and just says, he's completely hard quartering away now, but he's completely turned back around looking right at me, scanning the ground, then looking right up at my stand and then looking back down and scanning. And I'm thinking, how is there not blood piling out of the side of this deer right now? Like, and I'm looking at it and I'm looking where my shot placement was. I'm like, Oh my God, I hit a branch. And and like in the split second, I thought three different things. I thought, I can't believe I drove all the way out to Kansas to ruin my hunt by hitting a branch at 15 (laughs) yards. Like, are you kidding me? And then my second thought was, right. I'm a goddamn statistic. <laughs> like, no, I'm this missed opportunity that this hunter, that this outfitter is going to be like, oh, blah, 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 blah. So I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And then my third thought was the deer is still standing there. Like he's still scanning and looking at me. And I'm telling myself as I'm, as I'm taking my arrow out, putting it in my drop away, lifting my drop away, knocking it back on and clipping back on, I'm thinking, I mean, I've seen hunters do this on TV shows, but I can't do it. And no sooner do I get done thinking that, I'm ready to draw again. And the deer still courting away very hard and still doing his scanning and looking, scanning and looking. So now I'm like, man, I need this deer to move again. I can't, I have no shot right now. So <laughs> I didn't have my rangefinder on me. That's a whole nother part of the story I forgot. But <laughs> so I didn't have my rangefinder on me. So he's looking. And he, I'm seeing this one area that he's kind of like where he's facing. I'm like, okay, if he jumps there, I'm going to guess that's about 30 yards. I'm going to put my 30 yard pin right on him. I'm going to pull the trigger, but I still need the deer to move. So he turns his head to look right where I think he's going to jump. I draw, he jumps right to that spot. I stop him. He looks back. He's a slightly more slightly more broadside to me, but still not much. And the only thing I think I could have done was done the rookie mistake of squeeze a trigger and look at the same time, like, like a golf swing. You know, you're not not supposed to look at your golf swing. You just keep your head down. You're supposed to just keep your pin on that and just slowly squeeze the trigger and let the arrow and the bow do what they do. And I don't think I did that because I pulled the trigger. It hits them right behind the ear and the back of the neck and the deer drops to the ground. Doesn't move anymore. And I'm like, no way did that just happen. And I've heard of deer getting shot in the neck before and getting back up and running away. So I quickly knock another one and I'm waiting for him to get it up. And he just, he never got up, just never got up again. And only took a couple minutes. I mean, not, not obviously not the ideal shot placement surely wasn't where I was aiming unless the deer, unless he ducked, unless he ducked or something, but my, my Matthews is pretty quiet. So I think I was just a rookie mistake of squeeze and squeeze and pull, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, deer hit the ground and I waited there for a little bit. The part of the story I left out was I actually forgot my backpack and everything. Luckily I had my release on me and my bow in the case. Otherwise, like I had no gloves, no hat, no safety <laughs> harness, no tag, no knife, no light, no range finder, no calls. I had nothing on me. So I had to text the, the, the outfit like, and his whole thing was like, well, when you shoot a deer, take a picture with your phone or you put your finger over where you saw the deer last and range, far, range find how far you thought the shot was. I just took a picture of the deer and I circled it and I sent it to him. <laughs> I go, I go, yeah, he's right there. And he's like, you got him? I'm like, yeah, I got him. He's like, is it butterball? I'm like, I don't think it's butterball. He's like, all right, well, get down and blah, blah, blah. I go, hold on. I go, I don't have my backpack on me. So I have nothing. I have nothing on me. The other part I forgot is that day started off with me getting a flat tire. So I get to the stand and there's just air pissing out of my driver's side rear tire. So I had to go back to camp, change my tire. So needless to say, when we decided to go to the different town, there was four of us that we were out there with. The one guy had already gotten a deer. So his day was done. So I go, Hey Scott, do you mind like taking my truck into town and getting the tire plugged? (laughs) So, so Scott has my truck. He's getting that fixed for me. I'm out here shooting deer in the neck. And, um, so I call the outfitter and, uh, I'm like, yeah, I don't have my tags. Like, oh, yep, you, we can't even touch that deer until the tag's on it. So I hang up with him. I call Scott. I go, Scott. He's like, yeah. I'm like, are you in my truck? 
yeah. Is my backpack in the back? He's like, yeah. I'm like, are you back at camp yet? He goes, no. I go, good. Turn around. And so he flips a bitch, comes back, gets everything. I mean, the rest of the story is, you know, you expected what it is. So yeah, eventually yeah, got yeah. back and I tagged him and I got, and I got the buck. So it's not like the perfect story, but it is, it's one of the best stories just because of everything that was going on. And it was the fact that I paid money to drive 23 hours and go kill a buck in Kansas. And I actually did it. I mean, I actually did it. I, I couldn't even believe it. I called my dad. I was shaking like a leaf. He goes, he goes, oh my God, I thought you fell out of the tree and broke your neck. I go, dad, no offense, but why the hell would I be calling you if I'm <laughs> laying on the ground in Kansas and you're in Rochester, New York? Like, no, dad, I shot a freaking buck. He's like, is it big? I'm like, it's huge. You know? So, um, I can't wait to get my hands back on him tomorrow. So far from a perfect story, but, um, definitely, definitely probably number one. Of, of my favorite hunting stories just because of everything that went into it and the fact that I did it out of state with a bow, that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, that's, that's probably my best story. It's those stories. Cause you know, what's interesting whenever I've asked that question to people, mm-hmm. it's never your classic, everything went perfect story. Oh no, it? I'm sure it's not. Never. No, those it's, are boring. I forgot my bag. I forgot my call. Yep. I thought I was done for the day. I was walking back to the truck and here comes Humongo. It's yep. those type of stories that are yep. always the ones that stick out because they're, Absolutely. they're so unique and they're yeah. unique to you and your experience. Absolutely. You know, and you Absolutely. share those stories. Yeah. People are just like, so, so wait, you screwed everything up and you still got one? Oh, I know. I felt so bad. Like we, went, we went back to camp and there was a group of guys. One guy had been there for nine days and hadn't seen a deer. And he was like, you shot at this thing twice? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, and you shot it in the neck. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so it, I felt bad, but it's, you know what? And even Alec, oh man, Alec was cracking me up because Scott, who the other guy who got a deer, he dropped his bow out of the stand the day before he he got his buck so he had to kid he, he was like sitting in the truck for four hours until we were all done he's like i'm not i don't dare shoot and i respect to scott for having the self-control he's like i'm not gonna shoot at a deer without knowing my bow's on so right, right. he had to go back to camp and straighten some things out and he got a deer and then my day starts off with the flat tire and not even hunting half the morning because i had to go change that and i wasn't about to do it in the middle of nowhere on a county road in kansas so i'm i'm telling alec i'm like maybe you need some bad luck you know maybe you need some bad luck first to get some good things like i'll go lay in the freaking road bro like he was <laughs> he was not happy so but um yeah it's surely a unique story and i can't imagine there's too many more out there but to your point you know the the perfect situation like those stories like I don't want to say they're a dime a dozen, but they're just, you could tell them in two minutes. You know, there's nothing, there's no picture to paint. And then, I, I mean, a kill is a kill, a trophy is a trophy. So hats off to you. That's amazing. But um, there's it just, there's definitely some unique uniqueness to some of the experiences that you have. And it comes with time in the woods, you know, and that's that's the one thing that I think, why why I, why I decided to start documenting some of this stuff and, you know, I could have just gotten to hunting and not cared about talking to you about this type of stuff or doing, you know, recipes and, and filming things and having Instagrams and doing podcasts and stuff. But, um, it's all about time in the woods and you learn more, the more you do it. And that's what I think I like about my friends is, and why I thought it was a cool community to kind of promote in a way was, you know, we don't all have the perfect schedule, the perfect lives to, you know, drop what we're doing and go hunting for a backpack week with our, you know, elk tag in Montana that we've been buying points for, for, you know, preference points for, for, for years and years. So we make the most out of what we have. And, you know, luckily we're pretty all successful at it. I mean, I'm sure some of my friends have just as cool stories that they'd love to tell you someday. And, um, that's why I, I do some unique things too, or what I think is unique. And I've only done one so far. I still want to do another, but we filmed a lot this turkey season and I never even pulled the trigger. So it's like, okay, I got all this footage. How do I wrap up? How do I make people that if when, you know, once it's on YouTube, how do I make people interested in you know, tuning into 2021 turkey season when I didn't kill anything in 2020. So I did what I call a turkey talk. So I just set up a bunch of GoPros on my deck, had a bunch of friends over who are all turkey hunters, just hit record on them all and, you know, crack some beers, grilled some venison, cook some turkey, and just 
talked about the season. You know, one dude got a slammer, another dude got another one, and everyone else had similar struggles like I did. And it's like, let's talk about it, you know, because it's um, we can. One thing about the hunting community is everyone can respect failures. <laughs> you know, yeah. everyone loves to hear about maybe the turkey that wasn't or the deer that never was or how you had a missed opportunity. So um, I plan on doing more of those. I want to do a deer talk. That's how I, I'm going to start doing it kind of the, at, the, at the end of every season. So I'll keep you in the loop for that too because it's just um, – it's cool. It's different. You know, you, you shoot the shit with your buddies, you laugh, you joke, you learn a ton from each other about what worked, what didn't work. How would you find yourself in this situation? What would you do differently? And, um, all you're doing is better, bettering your chances for a successful next season. Cam, I cannot wait until it comes out. Number one, I cannot wait to hopefully get invited to one. Absolutely. And on top of that, I appreciate all of your time. Thank you for the stories. Thanks for sharing. Let me ask you all no these problem. questions. But no uh, problem. again, thanks for everything. For anyone listening, Upstate Downers, check it out on Instagram for sure. Hopefully here in the new f- in the near future, we'll get some more YouTube content. But there is a really cool uh, turkey hunt up there where they ran into the black bear. Check it all out. Uh, if you want to send him some stuff, again, DM through Instagram, send it out to Cam. Yep. He's more than willing to check it out. Tell your story. Again, yep. thank you so much. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it all comes out pretty soon. No problem, Caleb. It was an absolute pleasure, man. I enjoyed talking to you. All right, brother.